Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Oh, cute you, man. Cue all of us. Yeah, cue <laughs> yeah, you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Gine in yourself. Ooh, there's a lot of catchphrases coming out of this already. This uh-huh. Okay, well, that'll be the whole Mission episode. Mission accomplished. I actually don't fully understand the title of this. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, oh, we need a title. We forgot to do that. Uh, is it like Borg episode one? No. Uh, Go bored yourself. Mm. Well, here's the thing. Well, it, we'll get into it properly, but you know, who knew that the Borg were going to become what they were when they did this episode? This could have just been like a one-off. Q knew. Q knew. <laughs> Q who? I think mm-hmm. they knew too, because as uh, you say, or they planned. Into it, yeah, I think they did plan another major antagonist, and this is definitely a uh, quite the introduction to them mm. too. They're coming. They are. <laughs> I didn't. I remember this being a pretty landmark episode, but like after we went through it, it's just like, oh yeah, they're doing a lot of establishing right now. Yeah, because I, there was a lot of Borg anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of that. Hmm. What define Borg anxiety? Well, uh, speaking of someone who has played in a campaign of Star Trek Adventures for like a couple of years now, whenever any cube or sphere-like ship appears, the instinct, and rightly so, is, oh shit, let's run, yeah. get out of there, yeah. go, 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 we're fucked. <laughs> and I guess mine would them- be the opposite. It's a deep anxiety that I'm not part of the Borg and I have to make decisions and think for myself. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, you know, think of how great it would be if it's just groupthink all day long. No Uh-oh. one ever can fault you for doing the wrong thing. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. We all made a huge mistake. <laughs> Resistance isn't comfortable. I, <laughs> I know what you're saying, Xander, because uh, well, of Star Trek Adventures, the role-playing game, but also when I, what I remember as a kid watching the Borg thinking – they were the most impressive antagonists we've seen yet yeah, because they're they were really so scary. Yeah. And we get taste of that in this episode, especially uh, midway through when they fire like a photon torpedo, two of them, mm-hmm. right at the ship and it does no damage. Whereas previously their phaser heads like ripped it apart. And it's just like, we choose not to take that damage anymore. Right. And you really do see the Enterprise and its crew through the lens that Q is of this arrogant crew that thinks that nothing can go wrong and that safe is that space is perfectly safe and he's like well let me show you in the most dickish way possible this is just awful and maybe that's why it's called q who which yeah. uh, makes a little more sense now it's like who is this guy and like what's what's his real purpose here and he's like he wants to he wants to put us in a different place in history right they should have called it maximum dickhead <laughs> <laughs> that's right it's q who <laughs> q throws the enterprise into uncharted space where it encounters a dangerous alien vessel of a previously unknown species the boar 
Yeah, like and, and like Becca, you also anticipated them too because you remembered the Borg as well, so you were excited about them. What would you remember? In the movies and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, Picard, Picard becomes a Borg someday. Mm. I don't remember. Everything's a vague detail. Sure. I do remember ve- being very attracted to the Borg. Um, <laughs> oh. And also, separately, uh-huh. my older cousin who had a computer when like we had a 386 at home was gaming and he had a Star Trek game where you were playing against the Borg and I've never played that game and I don't know what it's called but someone does and he's probably in this broadcast room right now (laughs) (laughs) and you would play against the Borg probably the Borg Queen at that time maybe that sounds right right because yeah. like Voyager, another Star Trek series, goes like deep in the paint of of Borg lore, and that's their main baddie, as well as Next Gen eventually. But uh, especially after coming back from watching Voyager and just how much shit they went through and dealing with the Borg and everything like that. Um, just to see the Enterprise crew just go, oh, look, another species. Let's let's do an away team. And Guinan like spits out her tea and is like, excuse me, what? Which is the That's, correct uh, reaction. Wait, let's go a little chronological. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I want to talk about all these things, but I don't want to blow my Borg lo- load too early. <laughs> oh, but, no. You can't make that um, <laughs> But Seven of Nine, was she? Yeah. Uh, cyborg, or was she partially Borg? She is a like recovered Borg. Yeah. That's what I thought. Borg. I remember. I rem- I'm thinking that my impressions of Borg are more from Voyager, where That's it was probably, so prominently featured. Yeah, there are more, and they instances. were they were sexier there. You know, sure. like the especially <laughs> well, she was sexier for sure. Yeah, yeah than them. Paste colored skin, but like one eye that's really tragically looking into your soul. Right, that's what I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we kind of got. We that. feel bad for them. Right, they become more sympathetic because you see them. You, I think later actors portrayed the Borg as you can kind of see their humanity trapped somewhere inside them, and yet they have to do what the Borg wants. Well, and. One of the things that we don't get into with this is the concept of assimilation, really. The the truly scary thing about the Borg and the Borg drones is that their ability to, like, reach out and just transform somebody into another Borg drone, which we don't see happen here, and they may not have developed until this encounter. Interesting. Yeah, it's the same fear that zombies hit on of you. The scariest part about us is that you will become one of us. Yes. Speaking of becoming one of us, this Ensign character that we get with Jordy is such a Becca Sonia character. Gomez! Like, I could see you even doing the voice and playing this character to a T. I could see you bringing hot chocolate into engineering. Yeah. I would totally bring hot chocolate into engineering and I would pass it out to everyone there because you have to say please and thank you to a food dispenser. And once you start doing that, then the food dispenser is going to just want only you to be the one interacting with Give it. me a trial for my own humanity. Yeah. yeah. Sonia really made a really good point about new life mm-hmm. and respecting other life. That becomes a theme of the episode. Yes. Do you say thank you to Siri? <laughs> yeah. Do you say thank you to Siri or Alexa? I do sometimes. I feel I like Becky curse her out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've since unplugged. She can't be in the bedroom anymore. Sure. You don't she trust interrupted her. too much. So then do Whoa. you trust a replicator? Like, are you going to like suspiciously look at a replicator wondering what's in that hot chocolate? I'm an anti-replicator. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, here we go. I want the things it gives me, but 
I I don't want to deal with it or have it be listening in on my conversations. But how will it know how to best serve you, Becca? It needs to know your cravings. You sound just like Alexa! Get out of my head! (laughs) So, at the beginning of the episode, we're introduced to uh, Sonia Gomez. Is that her full Mm -hmm. name? Uh, Yes. The new ensign Ensign. in engineering. Uh, She was intended to be a recurring character, but she... uh, I don't think will be. <laughs> I think we see her in the next episode, Aww. and then we don't see her again, unfortunately. She's they in do the this... next episode. She is, yep. yeah. They do this a few times with, uh, like, ensigns or certain characters where they, they tried them out, and I just don't know why, but didn't quite work. Uh, well, but that said, she was fun in a different energy in the room, I thought. Strongly disagree with not keeping her on. Mm. I, I thought uh, it was nice for for Jordy to have a little foil, a little um, protege. Yeah. Not little. Well, She's not little. She's younger. We see this a few times, and um, and that's I think it gives a sense of the ship being larger than what we're seeing, like from just the bridge crew or just the main characters that we interact with all the time. That there's a ton of people on this ship that we don't really get to see, like the below decks, the family members, the, all this stuff. And we're in an era where they can sort of bring in a character, test it with the audience, and be like, oh, they didn't really care for that one, and put it back into, oh, they're just mm. working somewhere else. But we see something like Colmini with um, with O'Brien, who's now more regularly occurring. because Oh, he tests well. He tested well, apparently. Let me tell you, I did a quick test of Colmini when, uh, mm-hmm. when I was watching this episode this morning. I had it paused on a shot of Colm, which, is, uh, which was down from him, so it was very... Uh, uh, lower chin heavy in terms of his look and <laughs> Katie walked by and she's like uh he's interesting I go Beck actually has a huge crush on him she oh, goes well Brian. that's not a very flattering angle I go yeah but it's his <laughs> accent that does it she's like okay okay didn't yeah. agree didn't disagree she just walked yeah. down <laughs> curious it sparks your curiosity right. it's unique you know like if I were Borg I'd pick him first <laughs> Assimilate. assimilate all the secrets so we uh selena or sonia i want to call her selena gomez which is not her name uh sonia <laughs> gomez spills some hot chocolate all over picard's uniform yeah well the way that person. you undo when you've spilled on someone is you just, <laughs> just keep, keep massaging rubbing. their chest over and over to try and wipe away the hot chocolate to be uh, fair i might have done the same thing if it was patrick stewart just I'm dear so listeners this oh, is so not sorry. great advice please know that they're being sarcastic do not pat down chests of people you spill upon unless yeah. it's sir pat down stewart <laughs> You've made this joke before about touching Have Patrick I? Stewart. Yes, Have word I? for word about patting him down. So, like, Uh-oh. I really—I think... didn't remember it, so it was fun Listen, for me. Gonna... Okay, everybody, you're fired. My whole letter. Is... Oh, the writing team is gone. No, they're gone. Oh, no. no, this is your it's... fault. You want to no, call gonna... it out? You could be These are the consequences. No. I'm so sorry, tw- ten-person writing team. Yeah, they're gone. You gotta really think about the repercussions of your insults, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just pointing out how enthusiastic he is to mention about patting him down. Shut up, Jerry. Speaking of your writing crew, no, I'm not. Uh, I remembered what I was going to say, which is that (laughs) LeVar Burton, their relationship on first meeting seemed very flirtatious to me. And I couldn't tell if that was the writing or I decided that that was probably just LeVar. LeVar Burton has such a musical voice. Yeah. That it, you're just, it's, it's, uh, it's magical and it sucks you in and you always think he's flirting. Well, <laughs> I feel like there's, there's, 
I don't know. There might be something with unable to see the eyes too that you you kind of miss one sort of key about the intention. And Jordy, unfortunately, as this engineer, comes across as kind of creepy in the romance department on more than one occasion. Like you you don't really know. What is he into? Where is he coming from? I find him to be kind of asexual, though. Like he's kind kinda... of, he's into holograms and yeah, ears. he's very procedural and, and like he's still funny and has a personality and jokes with Data and stuff like that. But he's still yeah. pretty down to business all the time, no matter what. And I know we eventually do see a little relationship stuff with him later on in the mm-hmm. series, but we haven't seen it yet. Okay, here's why I think he's always flirting for me is because the visor makes it feel like you're sort of relaxing your eyes and doing that thing where you're sort of squinting. Smizing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's smizing all the time. Sure. Because of the visor. It's a constant smize to me. Especially with someone who has like deep pools of brown eyes like LeVar Burton. Because oh, like whenever you see eyes. him without that visor, he's got great eyes and a really great mm-hmm. gaze as well. So mm-hmm. like you are missing a very crucial element to that actor. It's very interesting. And yet it comes through, yeah. even with a visor. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another testament to his skill. Well, we could talk about engineering all day, but there's a whole other plot <laughs> involving the Borg we should probably get to. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, speaking of some fantastic acting, yeah. Whoopi Goldberg is Guinan. I could yeah. watch her stare out the window for 45 minutes. <laughs> you know it what I love that she does? She is enthralling, and she'll be um, communicating with the bridge on a little communication pad, and she's so intent on having her focus. Her focus is elsewhere Mm. that she just absentmindedly hits the button and hits like four uh, fake buttons at once. But it (laughs) It it, works. You know, in in the moment, it worked because she... That's not where her focus is, on hitting the correct fake button. I just thought it was funny that it was like... No, it's it looks a, better that she doesn't look at the keypad, but then she just, like, hit it very generally. <laughs> it's an emergency <laughs> protocol for contacting the bridge. It's how you ah, do it. yes. These four at once. She's yes, also, she's, she's wise, right? Like, mm-hmm. she, we, we learn, is this the first episode we learn how old she is, that she's significantly older? Is that hinted at earlier, too? I think it's I don't hinted, think it was. Whoa, maybe. maybe yeah, I can't well, remember. Because I, I, I don't know what I know as Jake versus what right. I know as rewatching this for the first time yeah, full through. Because Becca she is, knows nothing and this is the first Becca learned of okay, it. That's what, aside okay. from you guys talking about it. Okay. But you do know that she's an, an alien species though, right? Or did you think she was human, just very wise? Uh, yeah, I thought she was human. Okay. Oh. I mean, I knew better, but I don't think we'd learned in the show thus far. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it's okay to reserve that like uh, assumption because of like the beta zoid on right. ship who looks very human but is yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we got to Guinan, but before we even see Guinan, we see an old friend in Q who appears. Uh, I love the camera choices that they do oh with gosh. Q in this, which is just they don't reveal him until he reveals himself. It's not like a and camera ch- uh, shot change to Q. It's Q puts himself in the shot, which I and think I is even brilliant. wrote down a note that first turn and look by Delancey. Mwah. It's so good. Crewman, what's so- going on? Hello, Picard. Yeah. How did... <laughs> So did Picard just appear on the shuttlecraft too? Because it's always two, um, or <laughs> did he walk into a room and the room was then the shuttlecraft? It's I think the nuance. door, the door was the portal from the turbo lift into the shuttlecraft. Yeah, you gotta have the portal. What's mm. convenient about like, you don't have to think about it too much because Q does whatever he wants. Like you they are just flash of light. Yeah, Q is a god essentially, so like they can change anything. So. There's really no – every time I try to think about it, it's like, well, it's Q. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and that's what the writers did too. Yeah, yeah, so it's a nice yet, liberty they give themselves. Picard tries so hard to resist him. He yeah. refuses to speak to Q on the shuttlecraft, 
And we don't really know what Q wants at this point. He just, uh, later, he's like, now will you listen to my request? Which it, it sounded like Picard didn't have a choice before, but you just really wanted to get to the scene where you bounce a ball against the wall, didn't you? <laughs> well, that's the brilliant part of how Picard addresses him. He's like, well, I have no power over an omnipowerful being, right? Mm -hmm. But like... I know what he wants, and I don't have to give it to him. Therefore, I do have some power over him. And Picard plays that smartly. I mean, as long as he can, because eventually he's going to be forced in a situation where he has to give up. Well, and it's the same thing that we've run into. It's supposed to be how to beat Q. That has worked in the past of, like, don't give Q what they want and don't play along with their games and xyz like we were trying to establish these rules of okay when you contact a member of the continuum do this and picard is trying to follow these rules that he had set in the past but it's not working because you can't set rules but is the reason the Q's so interested in the enterprise because of picard's ab uh, obstinance and therefore if he would just do whatever Q said in the first place, then Q would be uninterested and move on. But no, he wants to be a crew member. This is what, okay, this is getting into the big question, capital Q, that I wanted to pose to the two of you, okay? So meta speaking, if you were a being in this universe that had the abilities like the Q continuum, you were able to, like we as the audience do, know what is going to happen, what is going to set these characters or these people down a certain path of events right mm -hmm. if you knew that picard being a singularly exceptional human was the only person that had the potential to beat this threat of the borg which happens way 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 down the line in this evolution um the solution would be oh or at least one solution would be let's teach humanity to deal with the Borg so that they can fend for themselves and they don't need Picard uh, in the future. Or let's bring the Borg to Picard and have him defeat them before there's even that first encounter or a chance for them to build up to it. So which path would you take and which could you see being more beneficial? I mean, I th go ahead, Becca, if you want it first. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's a hard choice coming from that perspective. I would think that, like, I wouldn't care too much about what goes first if I was, I don't know, this feels, the minutia of it, it becomes mm. minutia. I mean, the specifics of what you're talking about isn't minutia, right? But at his right. level, it is. Because they're all yeah. just freaking play things. And as right. we all know, power corrupts, and he has infinite yep. power. Therefore, his thinking is corruptive. Like, he's just playing with these toys on the beach, right? And mm -hmm. Whether he throws them in the waves or he brings the waves to them and waits for them to get there, it doesn't really matter to him. He just wants to see the collision. Now... I don't know. I'm just having a beach toy analogy, apparently, which I'm improvising mm. on the spot. That's but like, fine. if he starts dunking <laughs> the toys in the water a little bit, maybe that's more yeah. intriguing for him. Or if he wants to experience going in the water with him, I guess that's what he's looking for. I, to answer your question, I would, uh, yeah, I would definitely put Picard in the position because I want to see what he does. Because as an all-powerful being, I guess the one thing I don't know is I don't have all knowledge. Right? We have all right. power, but not all knowledge. So if he wants to see what Picard will do, and that requires him to put him in that position. Yeah, that's what I think, too. But it's it's a dick way to do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, like he could have yeah. he could have done it a nicer way. <laughs> well, and seeing what will happen and knowing that Picard will not have power to be up to the Borg's level at this point in time. Uh, he just wants to be impactful. 
right. and be remembered and say, look, look, I can help you. I'm going to dangle you above the ocean, but not drop you in. Just waterboard <laughs> you a little bit, Barbie doll on this right. beach. And some 18 people. We'll, we'll throw them in, but that's fine. <laughs> honey, so honey you can we stop then... for a second? Is that little girl waterboarding her Barbie? <laughs> I think I think so, Daryl. Let's let's walk the other direction. If you ever want to leave Gitmo, no, it's not. I'm funny. teaching you a lesson. <laughs> well, anyway. okay, so we go with Q, uh, not of our own choice, uh, and Q and Picard are very distant from the Enterprise. The Enterprise realizes that Captain Picard's missing, and I will say, uh, we we've spoken in previous episodes about trying to note when a shuttlecraft went missing or someone transported off the <laughs> ship without them noticing, and like mm. Worf, like ten minutes after all this happens, like, oh, by the way. Shuttlecraft 2 is gone. Uh, <laughs> oops. Well, that's because Worf didn't set phasers to maximum scan till Phaser. later. Yes, oh. They must have been on minimum scan. Sure. <laughs> well, okay. So here's I, – I always think about this, Becca. I thought about this a lot as a kid. It's like, why weren't we always at maximum warp, maximum shields, maximum this? Well, there's a power oh, distribution. Power. So it, I learned about this Yeah, actually. but the ratio is one-to-one. One. Well, that's the matter-antimatter ratio. Yeah. That's to so achieve like all, power. All power levels across like um, – like shields, phasers, and sensors, and uh, engines are all at like 100% all the time, but like they can go above 100%. You can you can do more power to take. them, but you lower other system levels, right? Just get some more antimatter. <laughs> get that more antimatter. <laughs> Eventually, we do end up putting more warp cores into ships. And Ooh. There you go. Just mm -hmm. doubling it up, huh? It's just that easy. Or power course. creep. <laughs> two <laughs> That's actually from uh, Clear Skies. My oh, really? engineer is very excited about our ship having <laughs> two warp cores. <laughs> now, um, to to go back to Guinan and her yeah. power, which we're just learning about, she knew before anyone else that Picard was not on the ship, but all she knew was something is off. She had a feeling. It's like, you know how sometimes I make fun of the Betazoid power or specifically the half Betazoid power of right. knowing a feeling? Yeah. This is like More feeling, than a feeling some kind of feeling, but not knowing what that feeling is. I feel like she's That's got a, Guinan's power. I feel like she's got a Q alert on, on you know? It's right. like uh, when Q does Q shenanigans. Alert? I, I was trying not to, but yeah. The Q, <laughs> like the Q shenanigans, once they happen, she her ears perk up kind of thing. Same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and I also think that we we see this from another sort of un omnipotent perspective of a being who might know what is to come but doesn't want to meddle and is specifically very trying very hard not to meddle whereas Q is trying to put his stamp on things and and mess things around. Yeah. So she takes a very back seat of like, this is bad. She knows it's very bad. She's going to see how they deal with it. And if it's going too far in one direction, she might intervene a little bit. But overall, she's going to try to let it play out. But can she intervene? Because in the confrontation after Q and Picard come back aboard and they're in 10 forward and no one's there except Guinan and Q and Guinan have Popping their standoff. The <laughs> Slightly after that, uh, Q says, I want to join your crew. I would do anything. I would even renounce my power and then gives this sideways look to Guinan. Mm. So I think... Guinan has renounced her power because maybe she was part of the Q continuum. Maybe she was even more powerful in some way, and she renounced it so that her life could have more meaning. Ooh. I love that theory. I love this theory, too. Well, she definitely has some type of 
power, right? Because the mm-hmm. we see it display the Krav Maga thing, whatever the claw. <laughs> but we never actually saw her use it. No, so I don't know if that was just a whoopee choice of like, well, I need to power stance. But what a great well, power choice for the writers to give her, right? Of like Q, yeah. who's unfreaking stoppable and can do whatever he wants, which we've established in episode one of this series, mm-hmm. is suddenly very disturbed by the presence of Guinan and like yep. is almost scared of her. And like that's a great move they didn't make her do anything they just gave the fear to q and i think that's mm-hmm. a great power choice that's Especially- a great way yeah tell your writer's room sander that that's a <laughs> oh, great they way They're all instead gone. of giving one person power give the other person lower status mm. it does the same effect yeah. <laughs> put that on the bulletin board sure sure pin it up for later another camera trick is when q's bouncing the ball on the shuttlecraft and suddenly he catches it in 10 forward um, yep. Again, that's a great another transition, and Guinan suddenly is also in ten forward and pops up behind the bar <laughs> from the bar. So, what you was know, she doing down there? I, know. I feel like you put her there, and he like emptied it out as well. Because remember, he kind of sets the stage wherever he wants to go. That's true. So I figured that's kind of what happened. But then he, but then he was surprised by her. So I don't know if that stands up. For all the kids, this is the introduction of the TikTok transition. Like, all of these were TikTok transitions. <laughs> like, follow the ball. Oop, I'm in a different room. Europa, pop up from a bar. <laughs> yep. Um, and so Q lays it out. Uh, or wh- how does how does this go? He They have a little bit of a confrontation. And yeah, how does it end up that he throws them? He just gives up. They chill. They chill when he says his real intention. So he can make this case of like, listen, guys, let me on your yeah. team. I promise. Oh, well, that's I'm what a it great is. contribution. It's, it's, it's less that. It's also about they're they're so confident in um, uh, encountering the unknown, right? That yeah, we're prepared Picard's for anything. Like, we could take, uh, yeah, yeah. And so and so he's like, that's pretty arrogant of you to think that. And it actually is a pretty arrogant thing to for Picard to think that. And I actually don't think that he normally would say that. So that seemed like an out-of-character choice, considering they're always on the frontier, the final frontier, right? And they're always exploring mm. strange new worlds. So they can't logically be compare, uh, prepared for everything. And by nature of them having a TV show about this, they're never prepared, because right. that's why we have all these episodes to see. <laughs> Well, and I, I think that what he meant is more we're unafraid for things that we don't know about. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And, we'll figure and it out on the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and this could be why Guinan also lets it happen because mm. the the Federation does sort of need to be put in its place to show that there are scarier things out there and that they need to be ready for scarier things to be out there. They're not right now and she's clearly known about them right so like yeah. she didn't tell them and i, th- I well, think even at the end of the episode she mentioned something about this happened a lot sooner than it was supposed to or something like yeah. that right mm-hmm. wait i don't want to i don't want to go there yet that's an important scene <laughs> let's talk about how q flicks them through space okay snaps them through space they go seven thousand light years two years away at warp speed from the nearest star base they effed yep and I think they int- and Guinan says start going back now. in that opposite direction right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what's That's two years? What my advice would have been too. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. And so Picard, uh, very thoughtfully and wisely, says, "I'm going to ignore Guinan and just explore around here for a little while." This is the beginning of the Borg anxiety. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. This is a well, decision Guinan that I would very, not have made. Guinan was very clear. <laughs> she's, she's like, we need to leave. And he's like, yeah. and then in the top of Act 3, like his captain's log is like, against Guinan's advice, I'm yeah. just going to go poke around. <laughs> As if this isn't exactly what Q wanted you to do. But he, they are explorers, and this is the furthest they've been in some capacity, right? So he kind of yeah. has to check that box, because if he went back to Starfleet, and they're like, so you didn't even, you know, do a cursory scan? I'll always wonder if I didn't poke around <laughs> That's a bit. true. So, like, I kind of bought true. it at the end of that. Yeah. So I guess that kind of convinced me. Not only that, but they found a Class M planet, meaning it was habitable for life. Right, where everything was, like, scooped up. I, I like that yep. phrasing. Everything just got scooped up. Somehow, some mysterious force came and wiped out a civilization so by I guess, taking it. So that um, it leads me to believe they were assimilating before this episode, Xander. Like, they also have like a bunch of humanoids all over the place, so they clearly brought them in from somewhere. Because we don't really know how the Borg started. I don't even know if we right. ever find out. Um, but, right. Well, right. well, I'm sure we do in some Star Trek canon. I'm sure somebody wrote it. I'm just saying, like, yet in the established stuff that I've seen. Or in Discovery. Yeah. Right. Oh, wow. Well, Is it I'm, in Discovery? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Uh, but later on, the drones develop the like because they're no threat to these drones that they come upon um, that don't seem to notice them. Um, but later on, they're armed with the ability to assimilate like on the go. I think this is why they're such great antagonists is because mm. they're not like the the Klingons who are aggressive. They're not like the Romulans who are sadistic. They are not yeah. like the Ferengi who are conniving. They are just doing what they do. And they don't they regard everybody else as insignificant. They don't even regard them. They're just like, you're in our way and we need to absorb your technology. That's the way this goes. And they have a very similar property of humanity in that way. As Guinan said to Q, humanity has the ability to adapt. That is their strength. And then we meet this other life form that has an even greater ability to adapt in real time. Wow. That's I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great parallel. And also, like, they just as antagonists, they don't fight back at first. They just kind of look around and it's like that's frustratingly mysterious <laughs> right and yeah I, I love that they're so powerful they don't need to fight they're just like oh you knocked down one of our guys we're just gonna pick up his eyepiece and transport out <laughs> you, that's true Yoink. Well, there's also the third layer of it when you put the the meta of star trek in the time period that it's in in the 60s you know you had something that was sort of reflective of maybe american mindset of the time this is what maybe there's a fear of this like communist culture or um technology or the internet you know how how are they bringing the the fears of like people who would be watching this in the 90s into real sci-fi oh we're getting our film 102 textbooks out yeah, now looking exactly. for the metaphors <laughs> yeah well i mean this was down the time this is so the berlin wall was falling what around this time um and right, it would have been a little after but yeah yeah so that's that's a interesting idea i have literally never applied to the borg but i i like it of yeah um the assimilation like into a different mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, it also draws a clear distinction between communism and socialism right. because Which the is enterprise the is very much 100% a socialist society. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> uh, back on t in 10 forward, uh, I like a line that uh, Q gives to – applies to Guinan where she uh, – or is it vice versa? Who says this to whom? They are next to kin to chaos. 
oh, next of kin. Picard says that to Q. About Q. Yeah. About him specifically, not about the yeah. Q continuum. Right. Yeah. It's like you can't we can't trust anything he's gonna do. He is Right. Because Picard essentially is saying in Ten Forward, you've got two omnipotent beings, right? One who we have embraced and brought on as part of our crew, and the other one who has been messing with us since day one. And these are two different ways that beings can go through omnipotence. And we've chosen to side with Guinan and be like, do we know she's omnipotent? I don't. I didn't know that. Still. I don't think Starfleet knows that. Well, I think that this is the episode where they're establishing that she she's is at more. least equal power to a Q. Yes. Yes, they did that. Again, I can't emphasize enough how well they did that. Instead of giving her lasers coming out of her eyes or anything mm. fantastical, they just gave her a powerful stance and they made him afraid of her. I love I that choice. Mystery is in, always a more powerful choice. Very true. Yes, in a horror story, don't show the monster. Mm-hmm, fear the concept. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and in any story, don't don't flat out give everything away. Hold on to it. Mm. Play your cards when you want to. Don't You don't have to lay them all out on the table. I, I love that they are starting to do that more. Um, God, I need to get a new writer room. <laughs> so, so Q points out that Picard's arrogant, flings them into deep space, and we meet this cube. A very, also a very disconcerting shape for a ship. We've had pretty yeah. distinctly alien ships all throughout uh, the series so far, and now we just have this big old block of technology that data scans and realizes has no central systems. There's no bridge. There's no engineering. There's no crew quarters. Mm. Um, which is like, I don't think they ever really mentioned that. Uh, any time they other scan a ship but it's a great detail to like hold on this isn't built like anything we've ever seen right and it's wholly not aerodynamic so it's breaking all of the laws that we know of physics well but aerodynamics sidebar nobody told sonya something exciting was happening that's true she still has hot chocolate on her uniform (laughs) she was promised by jordy <laughs> the whole episode, she's just she got would hot know next stains. time something exciting happens. Yeah, she's just sitting in engineering, smelling great. I want to say the thing about aerodynamics because in space, aerodynamics don't matter. There's no air, right? Or rather, the like we, all of the ships have followed some sort of like fluidic design that yes. would make sense to us yeah. in our brains. This is a wholly alien yeah. concept of just a cube. Yeah, I, but that's what I'm saying is like uh, even though aerodynamics don't matter in space, you right. are right in that aesthetically we still have some type of. Um, instinct to believe them more when they have an aerodynamic shape right yeah right yeah. make it a boat not a space station <laughs> right right because you've got to make it through atmosphere and and land at some but point but that's like when potentially. you see old sci-fi from like the 1800s or like the early 1900s where it's like a a, a galleon in like a glass globe or something like I that going through that space stuff. or like bicycles with wings on them and stuff like that it's it's our interpretation of what will be in the future and i love our flaws Come to find that. out in Star Trek lore, that's just Bajoran space <laughs> early on. So it, there's a place for it in sci-fi. All right, let's get to the Borg because they are so cool. We have to talk about them. We've really spent the time talking about Q and Guinan. So the Borg, we go, we we first encounter them. They lock a tractor beam on a beam on us. Yes, tractor beep, tractor beep, <laughs> and they speak. You just made up a new thing, and I like it. <laughs> they speak with one chorus, right? Mm. Uh, which is also a disconcerting thing. We pretty quickly realize that they are a decentralized. Uh, I guess they are. A, they are a collective versus a continuum. I guess is the difference, right? Continuums are endless. Collectives are a grouping. Truth. That wow, wow, great. And but we don't even get any word from their bridge at all right. until one intruder is beamed aboard to engineering, oh and Jordy is like, 
we got Excuse we got me. a we got a bogey. You're right, intruder was first. <laughs> I missed that. Uh, yeah, and what a great intruder, right? He's just not ignoring them completely and just scanning stuff. And so Picard comes down with some security. <laughs> I, but the, this we got to talk about the lack of security of security. Yeah. Worf, immediately yeah. fire your phaser on this person that did not have permission to beam aboard and is stealing technology. Now he's plugging into the ship, putting viruses in, and only then do you say, Ensign, could you just like shock I like, this guy I or like something? that, Becca, because he, Picard's like, Worf, deal with it. Worf's like, Ensign, deal with it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that Stunt too. man, go do your leap. But this is a hundred percent in practice what uh, what Q was talking about the arrogance of like oh we've come across this alien species that has a it's in a cube like they don't know anything they can't communicate with us look at them they're trying to fuddle with our computers they don't even know you have to push the button stupid uh, and so when dealing with new life it's always that like okay where do we put them are they above us are we above them what's going on and no acknowledgement whatsoever that's something that they'd never really encountered before. But you know what we have encountered that reminds me of the Borg Bynards. Yes. Who are the that, fusion with technology and artificial intelligence and telepathy with one another. Mm-hmm. But, but collectively just two as opposed to the the collective. Wait, what? Bynards are only in pairs? Mm-hmm. Bynards. Mm-hmm. Get out of town. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were four of them in the episode two. we watched, but two pairs of two. I see. Right. I one, see. one, zero, zero, one, zero, one, zero, zero, one, one, zero, zero, oh, right. one, one, zero, zero. Wow, zero, it's really I, single no, shaming. I, the last one was my favorite. <laughs> Fred? What happens Yo, no, if, yeah. if they pair for life and they lose just one? Well, isn't that the tragedy of it, Becca? <sighs> Do they swans. just lose one or do they automatically just lose two? So much to explore. Yeah. Don't know. Uh, Guess we'll find out. Uh, they disable this uh, Borg after having to use lethal force on it, and another Borg instantly ta- transports onto the ship, uh, does a scan, uh, shows that they can modulate their personal shields to just shrug off phasers, which <laughs> we're going to find that's a big deal in future episodes, as I recall. Yep. And mm-hmm. grabs his uh, dead partner's equipment, and they both transport out. Another feature about them is that they are never uh, – they never leave behind their dead, right? They're like the Spartans? No, is it it's the more Spartans? Of, Who is that? No, they, it's the Seals. That's the tech seals that can be that. reused. <laughs> that's tech that can be reused, and they don't want other – people getting a hold of their tech i guess they wanted to show that part of like it's more about salvaging the parts than about honoring the dead and that's why he picked up the eyepiece on their ship but if he was bringing the whole thing back he could have taken the eyepiece back on their ship yeah yeah so after this intrusion after this very intimidating like first encounter after guidance specifically says let's leave we all sit down for a meeting in the observation lounge and we agree let's do an away team mission what Riker? you're crazy you're <laughs> such an insane person no this is a I've, really bad idea i feel like Riker. This is the spike of the borg anxiety i feel like Riker <laughs> has a tattoo on his palm that just says options and there's a list of them and there's only one it just says away team question mark and he always <laughs> looks at it when he's like what what do i need to do next oh yeah well there are two oh, options gosh. one is away team the second is horny, horny. yeah so, yeah yeah. Horny. yeah one of those two thank god he went with away team for this I like one. Yeah. the option is just <laughs> horny it's not a, yeah it's not an action 
it. It's just be horny. Just be horny. <laughs> well, in between the away team and that first encounter with the Bork, that's when somebody took an ice cream scoop out of the ship and just took a whole cross section. They used some interesting miniatures to kind of show a dollhouse cross section of the levels that were being just that was a extracted. Great effect. I loved that. Yeah. I think they're really trying to get across the horror of, because we've been so comfortable. We've run into some danger, but the doctor can always bring us back, but not if the whole thing sucked out in space. That's what's so cool. The Borg Borg didn't damage the ship and some people got killed. The Borg took a sample of the ship. They did Mm. a biopsy on us. Exactly. And took 18 people, presumably to be assimilated. We say we lost them, but like, I'm sure we're going to see some of them in a future episode, right? In some capacity. And then Worf uses photon torpedoes to blast out this laser that cut this cross-section. 20% of the Borg ship is damaged for the time being. Now is the moment when you use every last torpedo and you blow up their entire ship. Yeah. I was uh, upset that they missed this opportunity and Picard decided to call another meeting. So there's, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's always that push and pull of like being explorers slash ambassadors for new uh, species and also protecting the ship at all costs, which it's not always all costs. Like there's a cost that's greater than the ship sometimes, which is, I guess, intergalactic diplomacy. Well, you would think that, uh, except for when you deal with the Borg, because that's how you get seven of nines. <laughs> well, right. But we're, we're, this is our first encounter with the Borg, right? In fact, right. actually, so is true. this the first encounter with the Borg for Starfleet? It is. Yeah. So this is the first time we're ever encountering them. So I, we can give them the benefit of uh, being wrong. <laughs> Still, that Borg anxiety was real. Just get out of there. Go, go, go now. You know, sometimes... Oh, you got to throw the prime directive out the window and blow shit up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so we go on board the Borg ship and what an impressive ship it is. This is one of the coolest map paintings of the series so far as this giant like industrial corridor of just endless rows of Borg. Reminiscent of a prison, really. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's what it is, right? Is it's definitely a prison for what they've assimilated. It's a it's a housing unit for all of the things that they've brought on. And mm-hmm. what we're rapidly learning is like they actually we're not really learning too much about them. Again, this is what I love about this episode is they don't explain everything. They they show it's some scary. weird odd behavior and we don't yeah. put it all together. We make a lot of assumptions, but even even the crew is very speculative. Like when we go to the nursery, which was a very interesting oh. section, and there's these baby Borg. It's like yeah. we're kind of assuming that I guess we insert an artificial intelligence into them at like a, the infant stage and they, they can do this already. So they're actually growing people too. Ooh. Right. Yeah. What well, a cute I little baby terrifying. Borg, by the way. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of disappointed they didn't put white makeup on him, but I get it because it's a baby. But like, still, yeah, <laughs> cute for a little Borg baby. It's showing that they start very humanoid, as Riker <laughs> describes. Um, one sidebar, you know, no one ever wears air tanks in Star Trek, and sometimes mm. you're going onto a ship where you mm. have your vital signs have told you there is no life form here. So why yeah. would you think that the air is breathable? 
I, yeah, that was a the big... TV. The TV answer for that is like they scanned and like, okay, it's it's good enough for it us to be over. And like the the TV production answer is always like, are we gonna put them in freaking helmets again? Like <laughs> that's why they that's why everything is an M class planet they visit. And if it's not, right. it has some type of mysteriously breathable air. It's like yeah, they don't yeah, want to. Yeah. They Just give don't them a want little their tube in their hidden. mouth, you know. But again, that's okay. Some but cool a little glasses. tube in their mouth is going to stop them. Some cool glasses. So your eyeballs <laughs> don't get sucked out and into space, Jake. Again, they want their actors to act. So impeding their face right. in any way is going to be a problem. Okay, and well, so, when I have my space show, but, right, we're right, just going to put little tubes in our mouths and cool glasses. Let me let me t- let me point out why this is the case. Like, look look at other sci-fi shows since Star Trek: The Next Generation. We actually have had a lot of we've gotten better about realism in atmosphere. Like, we have a lot of um, characters with full-on helmets that have lighting in them to display their face. Right? That's right. that's a TV thing. That's totally impractical. It's very impractical because you wouldn't have light shining on your face. You'd have light shining face. out, so you can yeah. see things. But instead of giving people tubes and glasses what we've done is we've illuminated their face even more so it's definitely right. a, a um tv slash production option to show faces as clearly as we can and and still do it in the best that we can in the sci-fi world mm-hmm. okay i'm just, just saying tubes would be good you're not wrong and the thing is i think that sci-fi in this case is exploring what is possible and we kind of strive to become that too so you know, eventually we want to be able to travel around without suits and just trust that there's breathable atmosphere everywhere. Yeah, but then the case becomes, oh my god, you guys, get the fuck out because this ship is repairing itself! (laughs) Correct. And not only that, like, the anxiety spikes with Riker, and then they send Data, who I get, because any atmosphere, and he's very strong, but, like, when he's touching the 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 pads, I'm like... When he, like, climbed worst... in, he's like, I'm gonna try oh. this out. It's like, you're not Goldilocks in the house, bud. You don't <laughs> just try out. And imagine if it had just turned on. Like, the end for everyone. Right? Like, game you over. You see what's happening to the people that are standing there. Why would you do that? Uh, it's like it's like Worf's trying to climb into one of the nursery shelves. Yeah. It's like, no, yeah, no. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> oh, gosh. But and I do uh, want to see that. There was a weird, like, beat when Picard, uh, uh, Riker messages over and Picard's like, describe the nursery. And there's just too long of a silence yeah. where Riker's just taking everything in. He's like, a baby. <laughs> <laughs> they notably have a, only a very quick shot of that baby, and my directorial yeah. brain is like, if they lingered on that shot for too long, he'd be too cute, and you'd feel way too yep. sympathetic for it, and you'd like, why didn't they rescue the baby? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't worry. You only get a glimpse of it, and you're like, okay, it's just a baby. We're going to shut the drawer again. <laughs> shut the drawer. You can breathe in there. It can. It it's got seems tooth. happy. It's fine. It's as far as, as they know, that's as you would like, Becca. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Finally, we get some tubes. <laughs> can, I, can I talk about the image of the ship repairing itself? Because this oh, is something yeah. I had a major problem with. Oh. They are Uh-oh. the fusion of organic life and mm-hmm. artificial intelligence and mechanical life. But there's no way that metal will be able to grow and repair itself in a way that mimics organic life. I wish that instead it had just been like, you know, use miniatures or something and have them like a swarm of ants all working on the outside of the ship. Even if some of them are like floating off into space and dying, that seems more of how the Borg would handle that than the metal regrows. (laughs) 
I think you missed a key point uh, where they were describing the Borg metal. It's just space Play-Doh. <laughs> oh, I was about to say, I missed so, nothing, Xander. But you're right. I did miss the space Play-Doh. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the justification I gave that my brain was like nanotechnology, right? Is that it is, they're, yeah. they, are, they have very small nanobots running around doing things, including maybe even in the very metal pipes that we saw reforming. Maybe they themselves are made out of microscopic robots or something like that. But then that would make them an even scarier antagonist. Have you guys ever right. read um, the Michael Crichton book? It's called Prey. I think it was one of the last ones he wrote before he died. Mm-hmm. But it's about – it's. I mean, so many of his books are about technology that gets out of hand like Jurassic Park. But this right. one is a nano swarm of like – it's almost like a black um, floating swarm of bees kind of thing. Sure. And – oh. That book, I remember being pretty good, but they were also very frightening because they could just do whatever they want. So they would just come up to you and just like invade your breathing passages and you die because that's about what are you going to do to stop them? Yeah. Yeah. So like that's a very terrifying thing to deal with as if the Borg weren't scary enough. They're also immune to phaser fire, right? It's, It's just getting crazy. Yeah, that's touching on what Becca was saying of like let's let's look at horror monsters and you have invasion of the body snatchers meets zombies. You know, it's this combination of the two. And then when you're looking at like how what do we do to create a scaly, scary alien race, we could look to the insect kingdom and I think that's what they're basing it off of for the mm-hmm. Borg. Mhm. Um, great, great matte paintings. Good, really great design with them. So we decide yeah. uh, things are repairing quickly. Let's book it. And so we book it and we go warp 9.7, which is like insanely fast even for the Enterprise. And the Borg are You really round it up. It's 9.65. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I always round up 9.65 to 9.7. Ooh. Big difference That's how I break all the warp records. Um, <laughs> uh, the Borg are not only keeping up, they're gaining on us which is yeah. another terrifying aspect of them it's like they're not even trying they're just like yeah we're gonna keep up with you but warp and 10 we isn't even possible jake how did we right. even get up to 9.65 <laughs> keep that in your mind <laughs> yeah well, well i mean as soon as i think we talked about this before because we we went like warp 30 in one early episode didn't we or we went warp 10 or something crazy didn't we i think because it was we just were, 10 we, we were talking yeah. about how like well they're always going to raise the number of what's possible because the, you always have to break a barrier in the show somewhere yeah. well i think xander pointed out at that time that it was a mistake because well, later yeah. they say you can't do that yeah and they break that law again later on in Voyager. It's fine. Lizard people? Who knows? <sighs> so we're getting pretty deep into the episode, and we kind of need to find an ending, right? And so I, mm. Picard questions Q, who returns, and is just like, do you want me to say that I need you? And Q doesn't Good speech. Necess- <laughs> yeah. Great speech. I also love Q's moments of, like, appearing as different people and just switching them out to uh, be closer to Picard or, or in his line of sight. I also love his lean that on the TikTok bridge. transition. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then he switches totally with Data to be in Data's engineering seat, and uh, Data's leaning and then falls down. It's a good, <laughs> good pratfall moment. So good. so good. So you want me to say I need you? Fine, I need you. And then with a snap of his fingers, Q flings the Enterprise away, and we're okay for now. It could have been the end of the episode, but there's an extra scene here with Picard and Guinan, which was a mm-hmm. great scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. playing a little four-dimensional chess, which is a, I mean, an allusion Call to back. like the moves that are already happening now, right? Mm-hmm. And to uh, original series too, where Spock would play four-dimensional chess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is pointing out that there's going to be a big scary through line, saying they will be coming for you, Picard, 
Guinan says because she points out now they know you exist mm-hmm. and that's what Q did. Uh, this mm-hmm. wasn't just a game and now uh, now you're safe because Q snapped you out of it. Like it's not over. And Picard goes up to the window and he immediately kind of forgives Q and thinks about the bigger picture, which mm. if I were Picard, I would have been really pissed for a while. Of like, what an idiot. He didn't realize he was threatening all of humanity with this fun little game. He thinks, well, maybe it's the right thing for the wrong reason because we were mm. becoming too complacent as a species, thinking that we're all powerful and we're not. Yep. Interesting. Well, and we we also learn a little bit more about Guinan, too, because we find out that she's part of a species that has fought the Borg before and lost. Uh, she is like, a, it seems like some sort of refugee and is appropriately afraid of them. And I love that they're playing this as a long game, right? And that's, I think, also why they specifically, why the plot line happened that Q threw them two years away, right? We know the time. Right. We know there's a countdown timer and they're on their way. So Not that's a fun that, sense of dread. They had said it's two years, whatever, whatever, at our maximum warp. And we just established they can definitely go at least as fast as our maximum warp. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. two years or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were definitely planning to set them up as like a long term antagonist. And I love I love all the seeds they planted in this mm. episode. This was really uh, great uh, in terms of like laying it all out. And we've talked about this before, but I think this was the perfect example of the A plot, B plot structure that marries perfectly. So I, I repeated, or I'm repeating some of the stuff that we talked about in the neutral zone because the Borg were originally planned for the end of the first season. Initially conceived right. by writer, this is from Memory Alpha's uh, article on the episode. Initially conceived by writer Maurice Hurley as a race of insectoids, Hurley had originally planned for mm. the season one episode, The Neutral Zone, to be the first part in a trilogy that would introduce an entirely new threat to the Federation. Introducing a plot point that Federation and Romulan starbases along the Romulan neutral zone had been mysteriously wiped out. This was eventually going to be the Borg, right? And so the Borg were actually, they, it was the Borg. In fact, Data mentions early in the episode this type of destruction on that M-class planet we found, that matches what happened on the neutral zone. So they're mm-hmm. they're already nearby, right? Oh, well, that's yeah. upsetting and doesn't work yep. for the long-term plot line. I think, I think it's kind of a – I think Oops. it's – Yeah, it might be a bit of a mistake or, or it's just an unclear thing because the neutral zone is also huge. When you think about right. it, like the, the neutral zone is everywhere where all of our borders other alien space. So it's like – Maybe they're not in Federation space, but they're creeping around somewhere in the Romulans' worlds or in the Klingons' worlds or whatever. Yeah, that's the my threat theory. is around. Yeah. But there's only one Borg ship right now, right? As far as we know. Oh, I don't know about that. Know. Yeah, I, we see a Borg ship. We know so little about them. That's what's great is they really intentionally don't establish too much. Mm-hmm. Like, they, we don't get, we, we get so few lines from the Borg. We just get their collective yeah. voice, which, by the way, uh, the voice of the Borg, the, the collective, is a synthesized uh, voice from the voices of Maurice Hurley, uh, the director Rob Bowman, and Bowman's assistant. And so it's oh, just three people that they just use them all system, uh, like symbiotically and added them together. Sure. Huh. What was the line that they said? Something about, we want your ship. They never say their like, quintessential line, do they? They don't say resistance they probably is haven't. yet. They haven't re- uh, invented it yet yeah. in the writer's room. Yeah. <laughs> well, we also don't know like what their objective is. Like we know they right. want to analyze, but we don't know that they want to like absorb quite yet. That's another thing that hasn't quite been. I mean, it's been established because these are clearly cybernetic people, but we- it hasn't quite been established that they consume. 
Well, it's more of they can do it. It's not that we don't know that they want to or that's their goal is to consume. It's just they have the ability to do that. That's what, as far as we know right now. And we know they want to do it for their technology. Yes. Right. We don't know what, they want uh, to do it for their humanity. Why do we know that? Because they took a cross section and uh, a sample, which makes us think that the way they got powerful was by taking other technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I agree with you. I just don't know if they made it that evident, but you're right. I mean, they also took 18 people, right? So, like, how do we know yeah. that that wasn't their objective? We also saw them rescuing parts from, yeah. like, or harvesting, yeah. rather. Um, and that's also a very clever production way of getting around. Let's use whatever looks like a machine part and just glue it on some actors. <laughs> and, well, they just hodgepodge whatever's around, right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, ultimate cost- recyclers. Mm-hmm. Costume designer uh, Darina Wood recalled, I was tired by the streamlined stainless steel concept of scary. With the Borg, the idea was that the drones lived for centuries and that their body parts would wear out and be replaced with mechanical body parts. I wanted to show that they didn't wear out uniformly. So some of them had eye patches, some had fake legs or arms. And again, I like that. There's always a uniform yeah. to a lot of the alien species we meet, including in next episode where the guys all very much look the same. But And mm-hmm. like the Romulans have a uniform, the Klingons do, but these guys are all distinct. And they all have different things based on what they've been through in their own assimilation. Which is ironic considering that they're not distinct individuals. Yes, yes. They make the, they make themselves as a collective of individuals. I, I like that. Mm. Uh, wow. Weird nuance. Uh, great huge episode. We will be seeing more of the Borg, notably for how like big of antagonists there are. Uh, I think we only see them in like four or five other episodes in the whole series. Yikes. Well, you know, when you have an all-powerful opponent, I guess that's what Q is too, mm-hmm. but you, mm-hmm. you can't have them every time because mm. then you lose. Well, that's what the, that's the thing is like they pull out their big guns when they need them, right? I think that's, again, another credit to the writers of the show is like they didn't use the Borg all the time. It's like, well, we need a big episode. Let's put them back in here because they're our biggest thing. It's like, no, we need to keep them in the back pocket for when they are mm. really relevant. And that makes them more scary. Cause at, like, like Xander says, it's like every Xander's time they writer's come room, up, don't show the monster. <laughs> right. Every time they, come, yeah. but every time they come up, we are terrified of what they could potentially yeah. do. I was going to say, this is a systematic Pavlovian Borg anxiety that the writers have given me. And I now have. And it, <laughs> and that's everybody. Oh, that's, a cube. <laughs> Run. <laughs> I'll put I'll put the sound of a tuning fork in the recording as well. Uh, but like <laughs> I'm salivating. Th- that's another that's another aspect. Of, <laughs> that's another aspect of um, this show that I really like in comparison to like the Star Trek, um, the new J.J. Abrams movies is like the mm. Enterprise is always outmatched. You mean Star in Wars <laughs> in uh, the Enterprise? Yeah. Very Lens confusing. Flare, the space series. But like they're, they're always very outmatched by a technologically superior uh, species in those movies. And while that does happen in the TV show a lot, it usually doesn't come down to they're just getting the shit beat out of them by another ship. Like – this is the case where that always happens. And I love that this this one of the most powerful ships out there on, in the Federation side is just like a toy compared to this thing. And that yeah. always made it seem scary to me as a kid. It's like, well, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Like, we always fell back on phasers. Like, what's Riker going to say now besides shields up? Because that's not the yeah. only thing you can do. <laughs> well, notably, too, the photon torpedoes, which were supposedly the most powerful weapon that has de- been developed ever, affected them once and now does not work. Yep. Love yeah, it. that's that's what the new movies are missing. That sense of mystery, that sense of we must figure out some sort of 
trick or diplomacy. We have to outthink them because we can't outrun or outdamage them. Yeah. That was more interesting. Yeah. Well, speaking of a little bit of trickery and a little bit of outthinking, <laughs> our next episode is Samaritan Snare. It's the episode yeah. where Picard must undergo a serious medical procedure while the crew deals with a ship which lures the Enterprise away in hopes of <gasps> stealing its technology? What? Another Borg episode? Not <laughs> at all. <laughs> Let's set our sights on next week's episode. Engage! Engage. <laughs> <laughs> A great segue.